Every time I try to make it on my own Every time I try to stand, I start to fall And all those lonely roads that I've traveled on There was Jesus When the life I built came crashing to the ground when, when the, the friends, friends I had were nowhere to be found I couldn't see it then, but I could see it now But there was Jesus In the waiting, in the searching In the healing, in the hurting Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces For this man who needs amazing kind of grace For forgiveness and a price I couldn't pay But I'm not perfect so I thank God every day That there was Jesus There was Jesus In the waiting, in the searching, in the healing, in the hurting like a blessing buried in the broken pieces Every minute, every moment Where I've been, where I'm going Even when I didn't know it I couldn't see it There was Jesus In the valleys There was Jesus In the shadows of the alleys Today I want to bring a message all about Jesus. It's found in the Gospel of John, and I'll be looking at just a couple of verses in John, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 as well. I'm reading, really reading through verse 3 and then verses 6 and 7. And I'm going to give you kind of a long introduction, so hang on to your hats, and it will get a little faster as we go along, so don't think uh, I've missed anything, especially you, Doug, as you'll be... Uh, hitting the screen in just a few moments, so you have a chance to relax for just a moment before we get in there. And uh, 
The message is entitled, uh, God Said It. You know, when God says something to you and to me, and we know without a shadow of a doubt that it is God's word spoken to us, then we believe it. We also understand that it's powerful. We also understand that God is thinking of us when he speaks to us to communicate uh, some form of, of communication to us to confirm maybe something within us that uh, we are to do what we're called to do. And in John chapter 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then in verses 6 and 7, there was a man named John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all may believe through him. Now, Marshall McLuhan wrote this, The greatest obstacle to communication is the illusion that it has been achieved. You know, isn't the goal of communication, you know, to clarify something or clarity? When we speak, we want our message received. When we write, we want our thoughts to be grasped. And yet when someone is speaking to us, we want them to speak to us in a language that we can comprehend. And in communication, we want to understand as well as to be understood. So the Apostle John was no different. He come forth with a wonderful, you know, statement from the very beginning. He come right off the top, and he didn't, he didn't move around the bush in any way. And he spoke exactly what the purpose of this entire gospel would be. John differs from the other three gospels. You know, the four gospels are called the synop synoptic gospels because they get a synopsis of one truth. And each of the Gospels, and why it's called the Gospels, is because it's the good news of Christ. And so you've got four writers coming from four different perspectives, inspired by God, to put down in writing the message about Jesus. Matthew writes from his, his fellow Jews in mind, and he emphasizes that Jesus is Jesus of Nazareth, fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. And you look at the Gospel of Mark, he writes to more of a Gentile audience, the busy Romans, presenting Jesus as a suffering servant, ministering to the needy people all around. Luke writes the Gospel for the Greeks, introducing Jesus as the sympathetic Son of Man, emphasizing Jesus' humanity. And then John, the beloved disciple, writes to both Jews and Gentiles, presenting Jesus as the Son of God, emphasizing His divinity. So each writer pulls out something special and powerful about who Jesus is. Whereas the first three Gospels major on the, you know, the, the events around the life of Jesus, John emphasizes the meaning of these events. John's Gospel is not a biographical as it is theological. And yet it is about the deity of Jesus. It's about lifting Jesus up as to who he is and it's taking all those stories of the first three Gospels, putting it together and just, just saying, here he is. John uses every event, every statement, every miracle, every title 
to show that Jesus is God. And he is. He makes the wonderful claim by stating the purpose of his writing at the very beginning when he says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. He says that in John chapter 20, verse 31. John wants us to believe that Jesus is God. He wants us to understand that Jesus is God, and he wants us to be the evangelist that spreads the news, the gospel, the good news of John, the good news of Jesus to everyone around us. To accomplish this purpose, John miraculously uh, gives forth so much information that I think is mind-boggling. And he, he records the seven I am statements that Jesus made that is attributed to God himself. You remember those? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. The I am recalls God's revelation of his name from the very beginning in the Old Testament when Moses asked, whom should I say who sent me? And he says, I am that I am. Jesus did not say that he gave bread, but he was the bread, as he says in all of the I am statements. Furthermore, John records seven miracles. Isn't it interesting? Seven I am statements and seven miracles are recorded in John. The changing of the water into wine was a miracle. The healing of a man's son, the healing of a, blind, a lame man, the multiplying of the bread and the fish, walking on water, the healing of a blind man, the rising of Lazarus from the dead. Seven miracles recorded in the Gospel of John. Jesus possessed power over nature and only something that God could do. The greatest sign that Jesus was divine is obviously in the, in the wonderful uh, miracle and power of his own resurrection from a borrowed tomb. John provides the stirring eyewitness account himself as he describes all that he experienced and he records several post-resurrection appearances of Jesus as well. Some say there's seven of those in the Gospel of John as well. John wants us to un be unmistakably clear that Jesus is the divine Son and whom we should all believe. He offers convincing and compelling proof all throughout his writing that he is God. It is not the end of the story. It is the beginning of the story that grabs the attention of the message all the way through that gospel, what's called the prolude the prelude of the Gospel of John. As John begins his introduction of Jesus, the first 18 verses, which we didn't read, is that prelude. The prelude is one of the most complex theological statements all in Scripture that John gives. Augustine reported, it is beyond the power of man to speak as the Gospel of John speaks. The prelude, for, for more than the introduction of the Gospel, dramatically becomes the summary of, of the only revelation that you and I need to hold on to for the rest of our life. In the beginning was God, and since then he is, and he will be, and he will continue to be God. 
The prelude serves as the table of contents for the entire book of John. John uses several key words that refers to time and time again throughout the gospel. He introduces Jesus as the Son of God. There are seven pairs of words. Once again, seven becomes the magical number or the powerful number of, the, of convincing us of the truth that Jesus is God. The first pairing of word is the word and God, created and made, light and life, received and recognized, believe and become, born and God, grace and truth. You'll find all those pairings of words all throughout the Gospel of John. And as the Word of God communicates to, to mankind, John begins his account by writing, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John Calvin called these the, the, the speech of God. One commentator calls it the verse the most impactful, pulsating theological statement that could ever be made in all of Scripture. Any good speaker needs a good opening line, and John gives us the good opening line in the beginning. But it wasn't his own creation. Where do we hear it first? In Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. So John, yes, and he goes back to the, to the Word. Interesting, is Genesis 1-1 begins the same. John was not content to begin the gospel as the story of Mark did, speaking about the testimony of John the Baptist. He was not content on speaking the way Luke did about the birth narratives of John the Baptist as well as Jesus. He was not content to relate it as Matthew did, beginning with the nation of Israel and going through a genealogy. John started at the very beginning. In the beginning, there was just God. We forget that. How many of us today have so many things that bid for our time and attention? Just walk around your house. Walk around your yard. If you don't have a boat, you might one, have one one day. If you don't have two cars, you might have three one day. Look at your house. Look at your bedroom. Look at all the things that you have, the jury boxes as well as the closets, the man caves as well as the basements. Look at all those things that are around us. Is God God to us? Don't have to answer out loud. Do we put more impact upon the things that we have accumulated in life than we do understanding God? Think of it just a moment. John takes us back to the beginning. In the beginning was God, and that's all that was necessary. That's all that's needed, and that's all that we have in life. In Christian theology, you can't go back further than God. In the beginning was God. The Gospel of John begins with the new Genesis, which depicts the redemptive work of Christ. In the beginning, God created everything in perfection. Man fell from that perfection. In the beginning, in the Gospel of John, he begins the beginning part of, re of, of revealing the redemptive work of bringing all this back together. In the beginning, John describes Jesus as existing from the beginning the ultimate source of all things. And he uses language that we can all understand. 
He communicates to us so we can understand Him. John introduces Jesus as the Word with a capital W. Was the Word. Just as it is clear, the Word refers to Jesus and Jesus alone. In John chapter 1, verse 14, we didn't read, but I'll read it now. The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. John calls Jesus the Word because he had come to see the words of Jesus as the truth of God. And when he sees Jesus, he sees the truth. And when he understands the truth, that truth sets him free. And understanding that freedom that he has in Christ is his full redemption. He understands that through Jesus, the coming, the working, the teaching, the dying, the rising, the ascension is all a decisive message that matters to him and it matters to us that says God is God. In the beginning and all that it ever will be is God. The Greek word for the word is logos. The Jews understood the logos from the Old Testament as more of a creative, powerful energy. But John is relating it to something more than just powerful energy. He's relating it on who God is. He's relating it to the point that it's not just a philosophical principle that has power to the Christian. It is the rational principle of redemption. And Jesus is the way to God. As Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. John goes beyond the familiar concept of the Logos. He presents Jesus as the personal being. He presents Jesus as the living divine. He presents him as the living, as, as in his humanity, in full humanity. Christ was not simply the personification of God as the revelation of the Jews thought. He was the, he was the revelation of God. Indeed, God's perfect revelation of himself is in Christ the flesh. So much that John will record Jesus' words to Philip, where Jesus answered, Do you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you so long and all this time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, John records to Philip. This was John's flash of genius. In one word, he communicates... Three different groups of people. To the Jew, he is God. To the Gentile, he is God. To the Christian, he is God. To the lost, he is God. He communicates very clearly for everyone to understand that this word is God. John states the main point, the word was with God. The little translation is the word was towards God. The whole existence of the word orientates us toward the Father. And in that orientation is for us to see the eternal. And understanding the eternal is understanding that we have active communication with the eternal Father. And the Word is the presence of God, and we are face to face with God when we see Jesus. John's main point is Jesus is God. The phrase, and the Word was God, is the climatic statement in John speaking of the Word in God where he's saying that the Word was divine. The Word is divine. And that's all we need to have. In the beginning is Jesus. Period. Very clear. Very plain. Very understandable. 
He's saying that the Word is the, the embodiment of the divine. He is the deity. He is the incarnation of God. John reaffirms the main point over and over. Jesus is God. John states that he was with God in the beginning. The Word was God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is not just a power or a philosophical principle. This Word is a person. And God has come to us in a person to communicate to us personally so that we can come to understand the personal name and person of who God is in Christ. There is Jesus. To, to, to John, he's basically saying, there is Jesus. This is him. In the beginning is Jesus. And in the beginning, this is all we know. If John wrote nothing else, if this was the entire gospel, it would be powerful as Matthew Mark and Luke, if he would have stopped it with this statement, in the beginning was God, period. And he closed his book. <laughs> That's the gospel. And throughout that entire book, you'll understand everything about the words to us where God did, you know, gives us his final message to mankind that he sent himself to become the word to us. So what are the implications? Okay, wake up back there, Doug. What are the implications of the Word of God? I knew it was going to be a long introduction, and I promise you the message is going to go fast, so don't hang on. What does all this theology mean? What is everything that I've presented? What are the practical values that we can learn as Jesus is introduced as the Word of God? There are many implications, but let's offer just a few, okay? Number one, God has spoken. Number one, whoops. What happened, Doug? We went to number four, buddy. Uh, God has spoken. The Almighty is not speechless. Think of that for just a moment. God is not speechless. He speaks. The Word is God, and the Word was with God. And when the Word speaks, He speaks God. God has spoken to His Son, Jesus Christ, and Christ speaks to us by revealing to us in a language that we can understand. I am your bread, I am your vine, I am your light, I am your door, I am everything that you need in life. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. If you ever want to know what God sounds like, listen to His Word, listen to Jesus. If you ever want to know what God wants you to do, read His Word, the words of Jesus. If you're ever looking for a sign from heaven, the Word is the road map for you. If you ever want to know how to get to heaven, then follow the one who owns heaven, and that's Jesus. God has spoken. There's no, nothing that should take our mind off anything else but listening to his speech, the word. And that word has become flesh and resides within us and resides among us. Number two, the implications of the word is God, is that Jesus is the heart and the mind of God. What do you know about his words? From the mouth, from the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus is God's word that reveals the heart and the mind of God to us. 
So as he speaks from his heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus said, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Found in John 14, verse 24. The word spoke words. <laughs> you ever thought of that? The word, the logos, spoke words. And if you want to know God, get to know Jesus. If you're hungry for God, read the words of Jesus. The implication is Jesus is the heart and the mind of God. Number three is that Jesus is the complete word. The word is composed of letters. And Jesus Christ said, I am the Alpha. Listen to this. I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. That is the beginning and the end of the Greek alphabet. Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, Epsilon, Zeta, Eta, Theta, Iota, Kappa, Lamma, Phi, Chi, Psi, Omicron. And you listen at that. Jesus says, I am the beginning letter of this alphabet. I am the ending letter of this alphabet. The word is letters. And yet understanding that being the first of the Greek alphabet, the last of the Greek alphabet, Jesus says, I am the A to the Z. I am everything you need. Amen. He says it from the beginning. Jesus is the embodiment of all we need. If you're looking for answers, they're found in the word. They're found in Jesus. If you're looking for meaning, you'll find them in the Word, Jesus. If you're looking for direction, you'll find it in the Word, Jesus. There is a warning, however. Understanding this, the implications of the Word of God. Number four is this. Jesus' words are difficult to follow. You can, you can hear many words in life and they bring to us understanding. But in Jesus' words, number four is this, that Jesus' words are difficult to follow. John 6 is one of the most moving chapters in Scripture. It moves people from high to low, bringing with Jesus those who deserted Jesus. In understanding, in this chapter, we witness Jesus feeding 5,000, walking on water, proclaiming that He is the bread of, of life. The crowd around Jesus grows quite large, and why not? Jesus feeds them, displays miracles, and utters powerful, powerful speech. And then he challenges them. He says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. It was Jesus' way of saying this, the most difficult, one of the most difficult statements Jesus made, you have to take all of me, not just the joy of the feeding of food of 5,000 people or the enjoyment of watching the power through miracles. If you have to cross the line of faith, accept my words, follow them completely, obey me from one end to the other. That's the difficult part. Do you think all the people in attendance signed up after Jesus made that statement? No. You read John's account in John chapter 6, verse 60. This is the hard teaching. Who can accept it? And yet, the hard meaning, not difficult to understand, but hard to follow. So what do they do? And John tells us in, in John 6, listen to this, 6, 6, 6. Hmm. In John chapter 6, verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. 
Wow. Isn't that something? Jesus' words are difficult to follow. Why? Because the word forces people to pick a side. He challenges people to take a stand. This word is, has no middle ground. It has no gray area. And with Jesus, it is all or nothing. And yet life or death with him or against him. Stay or leave. Follow him or withdraw. There's no middle ground. While there's a warning, there's also a benefit. We are warned that his words are hard to follow, but the benefit is this. Jesus has the words of life. Jesus said to his followers, the words I have spoken to you are spirit. And he says they are life in John 6, verse 63. Please don't misunderstand this. Jesus, the word, he brings life. That's why a person could go from totally addicted in whatever they're addicted of, come to know Christ, and you see life given back to them. That's where a couple goes before God in, in, on an altar who having marital difficulties, and they give it to God, and they begin to seek God's guidance and counsel, and they begin to put themselves in His Word and praying for one another, and you see that marriage resurrect. You know why? Because Jesus brings life to dead situations. He brings hope to those things that seem to be uh, dying. He brings life to those things that, that you and I cannot fathom in our mind on how it could turn out until we experience it. Peter replied, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God, Peter says, as John records in John 6, verse 68 through 69. Many things Peter did, uh, he didn't understand, and we may not ever understand why he did those things. But he was just as bewildered and just as puzzled as anyone else by the miracles and the teachings of Christ. But he knew one thing that was more important than anything. He says, I know that you have the words of life. I know that you are God. He made that beautiful confession, and Jesus says, you, and Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, and upon this declaration of faith, I will build my church. In Jesus Christ, we have the words of life, and we find the answers to the deepest needs of modern mankind, man and woman. If you're looking for the answer to life's questions, if you're looking for the hope of the world, if you're looking for one who lifts every burden, and if you're looking for the giver of eternal life, his name is Jesus. He is God. There's Jesus for all of us. Number six is this. Jesus is the last word. One last thing. As in a lot of conversations, we know that one who utters the last word usually wins. <laughs> Think of an argument between man and woman, husband and wife. When a teenager has an expression that says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You know, it goes a little further. The statement's only two-thirds true. 
The truth is God said it, it settles it. Whether I believe it or not, Jesus is always Lord. Period. What will be the last word for you? Think of that. Will it be, welcome home, my good and faithful servant? I have room prepared just for you. A mansion that has been built for you. Or will it be the last words that says, depart from me? I never knew you. Jesus is God. Communicating to us in a language that we can understand. He has spoken words. And those words are life. Do you know that life? Do you understand that he is God? Will you and do you believe in him? And do you follow him? Understanding that he is Lord of your life and living that he is Lord of your life are two different things. Believing that he is God and living your life that he is your God is two different things. So who do you believe in and who are you following? His words are life to you. He is your Logos. He is all that you need. He's all that I need. Because there's Jesus right there in His Word. Father God, we thank You that today we open up this gospel and from the very beginning, we see the beginning. The beginning that matters more than anything that You are Lord. You are God. We thank You that we know You We thank you that we believe in you and we follow you. We thank you that you are the power that we need. You are the life that we we need to live. You are the giver of all perfect and good gifts from above. We thank you, Father, from the deepest parts of our being that you are Lord of all. And it's not based on what we come to understand. It's based on the fact that you are Lord regardless of what we know before we ever believe it. We thank you from the very beginning of time, there is God. And we thank you that in the end of time, there is God. That in the midst of all the difficulties of life, in the beginning and in the, and in the end, that you will always be God. We thank you that we can know you as our Lord and know you as our Savior, to know you as our God, to know you as our friend, to know you as our Father, and to know you that you are the one who holds our life in your hands. We praise you. In your name that we pray, amen. My friend, we want to stand and sing a song of commitment today. Uh, you, you are my all in all. As we stand and sing that, may we sing it as an expression of our worship and our faith to God. If you have a need, I'm here to receive you, pray with you, whatever that need is. So let's stand together. Let's sing. strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I see. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel. Lord, I give up. I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. 
Thank you for listening to the Worship Cast, brought to you from Gathering Community Church, located in Surfside Beach, South Carolina. For more information about our church and our ministries, please visit our website at www.gatheringcommunitychurch.com. Thank you again, and have a blessed week.